you know, you mentioned that some of those achievements are a far richer success, right? Getting the 20 pounds off the diabetic patient. And I fully agree with that. And I would encourage trainers out there who potentially are looking to start training this population of very heavy, very old, chronic disease, whatever it happens to be. It can be a very intimidating population to start to welcome into your gym. But in my opinion, anyway, it's the most rewarding and the most fulfilling. Like, it's really cool if you get the beast in your gym who already has a 475 pound deadlift and now it's 505, fantastic, that's great. <laughs> they already had a big deadlift, who cares? You get some, you know, and we had this happen in the program at the old CrossFit office in, in Scotts Valley. You know, a, a senior citizen who they were contemplating selling their house because it had stairs, couldn't use the stairs. And now they don't have to sell their home. Like literal stories like that, or haven't picked up my grandkid in years, now I can pick up my grandkid. So much cooler and more rewarding and fulfilling. Hello, and welcome to Pursuing Health. I'm Dr. Julie Fouché, family physician and former CrossFit Games athlete. Here, I bring you information and inspiration to help bridge the gap between fitness and medicine and support your journey toward your healthiest self. In this week's episode, I'm sharing another panel that I hosted on behalf of CrossFit Health at this year's CrossFit Games. This panel was on the topic of chronic disease and CrossFit, and I was joined by an incredible group of guests, including Pat Sherwood, who's a longtime CrossFit Seminar staff flowmaster, owner of CrossFit Lynchpin, and has helped develop a CrossFit program specifically for adults with chronic disease. We also had Athena Perez, who's the affiliate owner of Scaled Nation CrossFit, who herself has used CrossFit to overcome chronic disease and lose over 200 pounds. Dr. Nick Nueboise, who's a family physician working with adults with chronic disease who do CrossFit. And Dr. Tom McCoy, also a family physician who's used CrossFit to improve his own chronic autoimmune disease. We had a great discussion about the limitations of the conventional healthcare system, the power of the CrossFit affiliate to transform health, and how we can make CrossFit more accessible to a broader population. This panel was originally published on CrossFit.com on September 21st, but I'm excited to share it with all of you here. Stay tuned for the other four panels coming up on wearables, cancer, genomics, and pregnancy in the coming weeks and months as well. Before we dive into the episode, I do want to make it clear that this podcast is for general information only and does not provide medical advice. I recommend that you seek assistance from your personal physician for any health conditions or concerns. And with that, let's get to the episode. If you don't know Dr. Julie Fouché, well, I, I don't know if I can help you, but let me tell you a little bit about her. She's a multi-time CrossFit Games athlete, but she is so much more than that. She has dedicated so much of what she is to helping others. She's the host of Pursuing Health, a popular podcast. She is also an active family physician, and today she brings us Pat Sherwood, Athena Perez, Dr. Nick Nwabweze, and Dr. Tom McCoy. Please give it up for Dr. Julie Fouché and the health panel. All right. Thank you, Noah. I am so excited to be here today with these panelists and for all of you to be here to listen to what they have to say. And we're going to be talking about chronic disease. And before we get started, I'd like to just introduce them. So to my left, I have Pat Sherwood, who you may know. Uh, he has been involved with CrossFit since 2005, shortly after retiring from service as a Navy SEAL. And since then, he's been involved with nearly every facet of the organization as a level four coach and member of the CrossFit HQ training staff 
He's worked approximately 200 CrossFit seminars. He's been a part of the CrossFit media team as a host for the CrossFit Games Update show. He's also the owner of CrossFit Lynchpin, and he's been a part of CrossFit Health gathering data while training older and chronically ill people in his garage. So thanks for being with us today, Pat. My pleasure. All right. Next, I have Athena Perez, who's the owner of Scaled Nation CrossFit and author of the book Lifting the Weight, which I just recently read, and it's amazing. You should all check it out. Uh, she's an advocate for the inclusivity of obese and large-bodied athletes in the CrossFit community. She has a remarkable transformation story and draws on her experiences to support others in need. She's a survivor of child abuse, and Athena has struggled with her relationship with food since the age of five. But with the help of CrossFit, she's lost over 225 pounds and reclaimed her confidence. So... Amazing. Next, we have Dr. Nick Nwebwezi, who is a board-certified family medicine physician. He completed medical school at The Ohio State University College of Medicine and finished his internship and residency at Adventist Hinsdale Hospital in Illinois. In his spare time, he coaches classes as a CrossFit Level 1 trainer. He believes medical school underprepares doctors to help people make significant health improvements through their nutrition and other lifestyle changes. And he's passionate about learning more about how diet and movement affect overall health. So thanks, Nick. <laughs> and then finally we have Dr. Tom McCoy who's a board certified physician holds numerous other exercise and nutrition certifications in order to better serve his patients and in addition to his work in the emergency department he also focuses on health span optimization for individual clients outside the hospital setting as a medical director for the Vital Human Project Dr. McCoy firmly believes in the importance of optimizing your exercise program, nutrition strategy, sleep, and behavior patterns to achieve your life goals. So thanks, Tom. Thank you. All right. So I think all of us up here on this panel and probably many of you out in the audience have experienced some of the limitations of the conventional healthcare system in preventing and treating chronic disease. So that will be my first question to all of you, if you could just talk about some of those limitations that you've experienced either yourself or for your patients or your clients? It's a big question. <laughs> We're just you know, gonna go right for it. When I, when I first read that question, I was actually curious to pick the doc's brains because the first thing that popped out to my mind was, from my experience, I don't know if I can say that the current healthcare system is actually set up to prevent chronic disease. I mean, chronic disease in my mind you would have to have been on the road to preventing it long before you walked into the physician's office. If you're walking into the physician's office, I don't go to my doctor when I feel great. You know, I, I feel great. When something's wrong, you go there. So in my mind, the healthcare system right now is not so much preventing chronic disease, it's catching it once it's already occurred. And the solutions, or when I've had friends who have gone down that path of chronic disease and they come back, family members, of course, because my family members don't listen to me and ask them what they've been told. The advice from my standpoint anyway, as a non-doctor, just a CrossFit professional, doesn't seem to make sense, doesn't address lifestyle factors, and it's usually accompanied by some sort of trip to the pharmacy rather than changing what you do when you wake up in the morning. So I would say from an outsider's perspective, that's one of the largest obstacles right now is the actual lifestyle changes don't seem to occur. It's go fill this bottle. When that bottle's empty, come back and we'll refill it for you. Mm -hmm. uh, did you have to steal all my thunder before we started? <laughs> I, mean, I could just get up. No, that was great. 
And I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. You know, the, the system as a whole, as it's designed at the very moment is not incentivized to spend time with us as patients or make prevention proactively an area of focus, right? The way that physicians by and large get paid or compensated these days is through procedures and the people who make those decisions um, are incentivized to continue to keep it that way, right? So the pyramid of care providers is really inverted at this point, right? Where we have you know, specialists and proceduralists who serve a very important role dictate a lot of the compensation models and how they're laid out and primary care and prevention uh, is one of the most important aspects of optimizing health span, lifespan, preventing chronic disease is a little relegated to the wayside right now because it's so difficult to continue to have a practice if that's your area of focus. So I, I agree wholeheartedly. And he's an emergency medicine physician. And obviously he agrees as a primary care physician. I absolutely agree with Pat. The healthcare system in its current um, incarnation is set up uh, to be very reactive instead of very proactive. Um, I think, you know, the simplest, the simplest way to see this is just look at, I could ask 90, I could ask anyone here, 99% of people will say that they feel that they get way too little time with their doctors. You go in and see your doctor, um, you walk into the room and you feel like things are being rushed. In reality, in the background, things are 100% being rushed. We have 25 to 30 patients to see a day. Um, you get 10 minute appointments. And in those 10 minute appointments, uh, you know, the physician is going to be incentivized to um, pick the solution that is quickest, that is most efficient. And oftentimes the most time efficient solution is not to sit down and talk to you about your lifestyle, talk to you about your sleep, your you know, prioritization of recovery, your activity, your nutrition. It simply isn't in, uh, in our in the physician's uh, best interest to emphasize the things that take a lot of time. So, uh, you know, first and foremost, I'm a very big believer in personal responsibility. Obviously, uh, in the current incarnation of healthcare, physicians and the healthcare establishment as a whole has a lot to, to do when it comes to taking the blame. But I also think that as a patient, you need to know that you have a lot of power you have the power to leave your doctor to look for another solution, to look for a solution where you are emphasized and your long-term longevity is emphasized as opposed to giving you a quick solution. And those solutions do exist, especially in this day and age. There are solutions that um, will give you more than 10 minutes with your doctor or 10 or 15 minutes, uh, it, but it is incumbent upon you as the patient to know, you know what you should take and what you shouldn't take and walk out of the room and you know, ask your relationship with your physician if you need to, uh, you know, um, in, in hopes, in pursuit of a, of a better relationship. You know, we actually did just fire our physician recently. It's funny that you say that. Yeah. But anyway, I'm curious because also from my perspective, I think physicians are put in an unfair position, quite frankly. Again, I have not been to medical school, but as far as I know, you know, I break my femur, I need to go to a physician and they're gonna go ahead and bolt me back together. I don't know how much time is spent in medical school on truly how you should eat, truly how you should move, the benefits of the squat and the deadlift. As far as I know, you, everyone's learning other things, but I think the regular civilian population, you know, doctors are on a, a pedestal that they're on and they see the, the physician in the white coat and the average person thinks this individual knows 
everything about how a human being should live, eat, and move on planet Earth. And I think that's an unfair burden that has been put on physicians. And like you're saying, true change daily requires almost a daily check-in. So if you see your physician once a year, you have almost no chance of sticking to your diet, of sticking to how you're going to move, because people have not good weeks and bad weeks, but good days and bad days. And there's a whole lot more checking in and daily touch points that need to occur. And it's unrealistic and unfair that that should be put on the physician's shoulders, quite frankly. So I think there's a, a mindset shift of responsibility, kind of like you're saying, personal education and personal responsibility will go a very, a very far away also, in my opinion. Athena, I'd love to hear your firsthand perspective. Um, so Pat just said that we as patients have the power, but we also look at our doctors as the people that know everything. So why would we question uh, a recommendation? So let's talk about what that sounds like from the patient perspective for a little bit, because this is real. So I feel like I, I come into this with two different things, right? So clearly we're, we're a work in progress, right? But um, I also had double knee replacements over the last two years. So let's talk about what this sounds like. So I can't go to the doctor. In fact, I fear going to the doctor because I know that every time that I go for a headache or something's wrong, I'm gonna get a referral for bariatric surgery. Let's talk about what these doctors are taught in medical school. They're taught to refer, correct me if I'm wrong, Julie, but they're taught to refer to bariatric surgery because that's the easiest way. They're not sitting patients down and saying, hey, let's look at your nutrition, let's look at what you're eating. They're making a quick referral to surgery. Bam, that's it. I've had four of those referrals in the last year. Four. So let's talk about what it looks like from the other end too, from coming out of surgeries. Like, I don't have a medical advocacy and that's what's missing. Like, I can't go to the doctor and tell them that I'm doing CrossFit after getting surgeries because here's what they're gonna tell me. They're gonna tell me, what are you doing out there? You shouldn't be running, you shouldn't be jumping. What are you doing? So I actually fear going in to talk to the guys that's supposed to know everything because I know that they're gonna either bang me over the head for you shouldn't be doing CrossFit, you're gonna get injured, it's dangerous, or I'm gonna get sent to bariatric surgery. You guys tell me how easy it is to go to the doctor. Yeah, I, I think that Julie, Nick and I are up here because we agree with you, right? And in the work that we're doing, at least for myself, I'll speak for myself, outside of the emergency department, that's where I'm trying to rebuild and generate a practice and experience with people that I work with that has meaning and validity where we can be honest with each other and not constrained by the system as it's constructed today, right? That's why we're all here. And I think all of us have a lot of, and everyone here probably has a lot of frustration with the current healthcare system, the way things are set up. But we've all experienced incredible improvements in our health by walking into a CrossFit affiliate. So I'd love to transition into that, whether it's personal experience, whether it's patients, whether it's clients that you've been training, what type of improvements have you seen there in terms of chronic disease reversal? Oh, you started. 
They said, you start. Uh Um, So I started CrossFit at close to 500 pounds. Don't know what that number was. I walked into a CrossFit box on two canes. I didn't really have a goal of doing CrossFit, believe it or not. I didn't walk into CrossFit and be like, I want to do that. (laughs) Um, But uh, CrossFit did help me lose 200 pounds so far. Um, Thank you. (laughs) Um, But it also had some really, really awesome side effects. Um, I got got off my CPAP machine. So, you know, those funky machines that you have to wear when you sleep. So um, that was a a really awesome blessing, actually. So um, getting off of thyroid medications, you know, like that's what I was prescribed. Oh, you have a thyroid problem. Turns out I didn't. So, um, and then just being able to um, increase capacity and move better, and it's amazing. So, so I started CrossFit when I was in medical school. Um, as Julie and Tom can attest to, you know, I think a lot of people fail to understand that amongst doctors, doctors are a microcosm of society. And what I mean by that is there is great diversity within us. We all have different ideals, different values, different principles. Um, And med school and residency taught me that, uh, you know, unfortunately, the the doctors who we are going to school with that we're learning with are ultimately and and obviously sometimes very unhealthy themselves. So uh, residency tends to pack weight onto doctors, as I'm sure Julie can attest to and and Tom. And um, I think that you know, joining an affiliate myself and seeing myself instead of kind of going down, uh, down the, down the slope with my health as compared to all the other doctors I was surrounded with, I was slowly in, in med school and residency. I remember telling myself like, you know, I shouldn't have high expectations of my fitness. I shouldn't want things to go through the roof because we cannot all be Julie Fouché and go to the games in <laughs> in med school, uh, even though I remember looking up to her so much. Um, you know, it, I, I think, you know, the main difference that I that I had in, in terms of kind of my health was simply things getting better with med school and residency as opposed to uh, getting bigger and bigger and more and more unhealthy like so many other doctors. So, um, you know, I'm definitely glad to say that I am currently, at least by the numbers, and we're all big on numbers and CrossFit, by the numbers, I'm currently at the fittest that I've ever been in my entire life. And I don't think a lot of doctors can say that uh, compared to before med school. So I'm very, very proud of that. Yeah, I think that um, working in the ER, you know, every day I'm confronted with the advanced ramifications of end-stage metabolic disease, dementia, cancer, so much of what I see can be mitigated to a significant extent by lifestyle modification, but I don't have the time or the space there to work on my patients with that. In my other work, where I do have that room to make a connection, spend the appropriate time, convey the importance of adequate quantity and quality of sleep, design appropriate nutrition strategies, make sure that people are getting in enough mobility and resistance training. 
seeing you know a diabetic with a hip replacement lose 20 pounds and decreases medications in conjunction with a professional athlete in the same class and everybody's getting benefits out of it the satisfaction that i get from that is a completely different animal than what happens in the er and i think you know as a medical system we need to be moving towards building a model where as care providers of all kinds you know we have the room and ability to give that to our patients you know personally for me i was diagnosed with a chronic inflammatory disorder, you know, when I was 25, 26, I'd had it for years before that. Through this work that I now do with my patients, which was the main motivator, I was able to get off all my immunosuppressant medications. This is by far the best, you know, I've ever felt and the fittest I've ever been. Uh, and, you know, I have all of, you know, CrossFit, my experience with them to thank for that. And I feel like it's my responsibility to share what I've learned and experienced personally with my patients and clients. So. You know, you mentioned that some of those achievements are a far richer success, right? Getting the 20 pounds off the diabetic patient. And I fully agree with that. And I would encourage trainers out there who potentially are looking to start training this population of very heavy, very old, chronic disease, whatever it happens to be. It can be a very intimidating population to start to welcome into your gym. But in my opinion, anyway, it's the most rewarding and the most fulfilling. Like, it's really cool if you get the beast in your gym who already has a 475 pound deadlift and now it's 505. Fantastic. That's great. <laughs> they already had a big deadlift. Who cares? You get some, you know, and we had this happen in the program at the old CrossFit office in, in Scotts Valley. You know, a, a senior citizen who they were contemplating selling their house because it had stairs couldn't use the stairs and now they don't have to sell their home. Like literal stories like that, or I haven't picked up my grandkid in years, now I can pick up my grandkid. So much cooler and more rewarding and fulfilling than, again, getting the person who is already a beast, they shave 10 seconds off their Helen. Fantastic, celebrate it, it's great, but there's a whole treasure trove of accomplishments out there. It requires a lot of hard work, it's not easy, it requires a tremendous amount of scaling, in learning on both the athlete and the trainer's part, but I would encourage everyone to go into that world and there's no secrets, right? We're still doing CrossFit, we're still doing functional movements, we're still mimicking the stimulus, just modifying it in intelligent ways that meet the athlete where they are and changing their mindset that this is gonna take a while and if you truly want to achieve what you do, it's not gonna happen, it's not gonna come easily. Like it requires hard work and in the poor, you know, uh, American uh, population sitting on their couch at home is fed such crap through publications and media. I was just watching the Olympics because the Olympics are on, and there was this one commercial that came on with this the former gold medal gymnast um, Lori Hernandez, and it's this uh, Trulicity. Uh, it's for like lowering your A1C and all this stuff, and it's very heartwarming. And there's her dad who's diabetic, and they're like sharing a moment together and like, you know, just go get this. And it says, you know, most people can get their A1C below seven. And I was like, most, most, so that's not even all of them, but everyone I know that just worked hard and ate well, got it to five. Why am I going to take this crap and maybe get it to seven? Like, it doesn't make any sense. And then you see at the bottom of the screen, it says, Laurie Hernandez's dad does not take this medication. So it's a lie. It's a lie anyway. And that's what people are living in all day long. Nobody tells them, hey, you know what? It's going to be tough, 
but you're gonna have to make some different decisions when you walk into the grocery store and it's gonna be really, really hard and you're gonna make different decisions when you open the refrigerator and every day you're gonna go into your garage or you're gonna go into your affiliate and you're gonna work really, really hard for a long time. But if you do that and if you find a community that supports you, you will achieve what you want to achieve without all the crap-filled side effects that you're gonna get if you just see what they're telling you to get it uh, on the commercial and TV. So that'd be my two cents. There we go. Amazing. I know that, you know, we've all seen results in incredible results in people overcoming chronic disease or improving chronic disease with CrossFit. But we also recognize that it can be incredibly intimidating for someone to walk in the door of a CrossFit affiliate. I don't know, Athena, if you want to just share your experience about that first time walking in and then as a group, thoughts about how we can be more approachable for this population. So first walking into a, a CrossFit box, I was scared shitless. I'm just kidding. Um, when we talk about um, making CrossFit more approachable, I think what we're talking about is how do we make CrossFit more appealing to a much broader range of people. Um, the three things that I just thought of was, um, I think we have to really understand how as coaches, affiliates, members of our boxes, how we're talking about CrossFit so when I say how we're talking about it, can we reshape the conversation so that we're not talking about CrossFit in terms of, hey, this is how CrossFit can, can change your body or whittle it down to a specific size. What I'd love for us to be talking about and how we're gonna share this with other people is what CrossFit can do um, to live a happier life. Um, when we talk about um, how we're talking about it, who, how are we training? So um, when I also, people that walk into a CrossFit box, their first um, meeting is probably gonna be a coach or an affiliate owner. So my question is, who are we training? Who, who are these coaches? So um, representation in CrossFit, I feel like is important. People are naturally gonna want to be around people like them people that look like them, people that have shared experiences like them. So I think one of the biggest challenges for us as a community is making sure that there are direct paths for coaches of all different types to be coaches in this community. And then the last thing that I would like to say is education. I think Pat was the one that was talking about it a little while ago. It's like when somebody walks into a box and they weigh four or 500 pounds, is that coach adequately prepared to help them? And she's right, Julie was right. It can be very intimidating to help someone. How do you help someone that has that much weight to lose? I don't blame any coach at all for being nervous or scared. Um, but what I would love to see in our community is the coaches getting more education on the level ones and level twos. I know the level three and fours have to take CEUs and I don't know why we're not as ones and twos as well. Firmly for the education on how to work with this demographic, all different types of chronic disease is gonna come from that type of education, so. I also think a yes, and a, a huge part also is precisely what hopefully trainers have that the physicians don't have, which is just more time. 
So if you do truly understand what CrossFit is and you do have the ability to communicate it in a way to the audience that, that makes sense, they understand why squatting and deadlifting is actually not harmful for your back and knees, it's actually healthy, and this is how it mimics things you're going to have to do in, in the real world, how it's rehabilitative. Like, it still takes a very long time to get that across to somebody. And everybody that I trained in my garage that was an older segment of the population or very heavy, I think the shortest conversation I had with any of them was probably about 75 minutes to just set the groundwork as to what we're doing. We're not working out, we just sat at Starbucks and talked for like an hour and a half. That, that was required to get every single solitary one of them to actually walk into my garage to start training. And that's just not something that, you know, most physicians can do. So we, we need to get them, get the messaging out there that gets them to actually have the courage or uh, they're open-minded to walk into the CrossFit gym and then arm that trainer or that coach with the knowledge of what to communicate them to put them at ease, to meet that athlete where they're at and let them know, hey, you don't have to be intimidated by this guy's pectoral muscles. It's all good. Like we, wherever you are, we can scale the workout. We can make it happen. And we're all going to be working out together. Life's going to be good. But, but it just takes a while to, to get that across to folks. And it's, and it's a different message for each person. So I would also encourage everybody, as much as you know, I run my mouth for a living, in those situations, you want to ask a lot of questions because everyone's going to have a slightly different fear or a slightly different level of intimidation or something in their past that that's the sticky point that unbeknownst to you is really hard for them to overcome and sit down in front of you. And if you can get to what that is and address it with them and make them feel comfortable, I think you're going to have a much greater chance of long-term success with that athlete. So... um Pat is usually correct with uh, the, the fact that physicians don't have a lot of time and he has more time to, to talk to people for a long duration of time. I'm a steady and B physician, so um, thankfully I have the luxury. I'm in a system that's slightly different and I have the luxury of talking to my new patients for, I think the longest appointment I've had with a patient was two and a half hours. So that affords me the luxury of um, asking questions, as Pat just implied, and, and, and essentially finding out what people's sticking points are. I like to uh, ask my patients what their goals are. Um, and when they do tell me their goals, what I think is important is to never focus, when you're, when you're with a new patient, never focus on the end results. Um, don't have them focus on the end result day after day. I like breaking things down into habits, the things that you can control. You can't control the result, you can control the daily habits, the daily choices that you make. Uh, so I like to focus on, on those with, with my patients. You know, I think otherwise that, uh, uh, you know, CrossFit is doing I, I've always been a fan of the inception of CrossFit Health because I think that the CrossFit Games in and of itself, this is a spectacle of sport. We all love it. I'm not here to knock CrossFit at the CrossFit Games, but I remember my father uh, was very resistant to start CrossFit because his conception of CrossFit was the games. That's all he saw. 
Um, so I think that doing whatever we can as a group, as a community to get the word out to people that, you know, this is a solution for the things that plague them every day. This is a, 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 a kind of a possible window that they may not have been exploring um, for lowering your blood pressure, you know, treating uh, all forms of metabolic uh, disease, metabolic syndrome, prediabetes, type 2 diabetes, and, and improving things, as Pat implied earlier, you know. Trying to get your hemoglobin A1C to seven should not be your goal. <laughs> uh, you know, you should absolutely be be shooting for for lower. So, you know, I think that essentially finding out what what health goals patients have and focusing on the daily habits that will help get them there uh, is is a. Uh, um, is, is something that we can all do. The last thing that I would recommend is, I remember in 2010 when I started CrossFit, uh, walked into the gym, random people came up to me and introduced themselves and were very nice and approachable and asked me questions. So ever since that moment, I've always tried to do the same. Whenever I see anyone walk into my, my affiliate right now is CrossFit on me. So whenever I see somebody who very clearly does not CrossFit, because they're not wearing Nobles or Metcons or Nanos. <laughs> I will walk up to them uh, and I'll introduce myself and, and ask them you know, what, their, what their goals are. And I'm not an owner of the gym, but I'll just try and make CrossFit as approachable to them as a newbie as it was made approachable to me in 2010. So I think that's something we can all do uh, is just be personable uh, and, and kind of approach people who we see walk into the affiliate and obviously answer any questions from friends and family as they come up. Yeah, I, I am extremely optimistic. You know, we have a modality in CrossFit that has proven itself to be the answer for many of the ills that are facing us as a society from a health standpoint. Our challenge now becomes one of messaging, right? As we sit here surrounded by the fittest people in the world, how do we take forth to the masses the knowledge that we have something to offer you? We can improve your life, your health span, your lifespan, your longevity, your emotional health, your happiness. All of that can happen through this work. And so I think that's really the charge for us as we move forward. It's going to take everybody here you know, to make that happen. I'd love to take some audience questions. So Noah will come over with the microphone if you raise your hand. Hi, I'm Jeff Williamson. I do uh, maternal fetal medicine. I spent 30 years in academics. Um, and my solution would be to have randomized clinical trials. Doctors respond to data. Data can be generated by randomized clinical trials. There are very few randomized clinical trials, nothing that I can really find in CrossFit in any disease modality. And so I would encourage you to speak with, uh, with, with, with the knowledge of a randomized clinical trial behind you. Because without that data, doctors have stuff coming at them all the time that is, that is um, uh, anecdotal. Okay, you know, I have newt prevents this or that, and so us coming and saying CrossFit prevents this or that is not a clear message for, for for doctors. You need randomized clinical trials. To that to that extent, uh, we just got a grant from the Parkinson's Foundation to do a phase two trial for CrossFit, see whether it's safe, and then to see whether it's. Uh, whether, it's, whether, whether there's gains to be made. And then hopefully we'll follow that with a randomized clinical trial. That's how you get doctors involved. Thank you. So that was Dr. Jeff Livingston, who was just 
uh, talking about having more randomized clinical trials and how doctors respond to data and, and will be more likely maybe to refer their patients to CrossFit uh, with more data. And I think, I think that's true. I think more, more research will help in that area, but I also will push back a little bit and say we have so much data that exercise, community, eating real food is all good for us. And so starting there, I think there's so much evidence to to recommend that people walk into an affiliate. I don't think we need to wait for those, but I think certainly in order to communicate better with the medical community, that's something that that would be beneficial. Yeah, and you're, you're preaching to the choir up here. I think every time Julie and I have talked, um, when we talked about messaging and how to expand CrossFit into the medical community, that's those words have come out of my mouth. You know, there is a lot more research, you know, on HIT specifically and the metabolic benefits around that. I think, again, it, the onus is on us to package that in a way that's digestible for physicians and that they have access to it and see it and begin to develop a more robust database that we can then refer people to, you know, that's categorized and collated and they can access different areas and say, oh, yeah, this this makes sense. It's been validated. I can feel good advising my patients to do this, right? Hi, <clears throat> sorry. My name's Chris, I'm not a doctor. Uh, I've been doing CrossFit for a couple of years and I'm sorry the metal thing is doing that to me. But um, when you guys talked about sending a consistent message about what we, uh, preventative care, what we put in our bodies, how we change our lifestyles. I'm curious to find a doctor's perspective on when we walked through the doors or the pavilion and we're now seeing tents from Big Soda outside and how that, how dangerous that is. Are we close to seeing soda machines in our CrossFit boxes? And I'll shut this off and let you respond. I'll take it. Yeah. All right, Athena. Right. So. Soda companies are not friends with people that have chronic disease, ever. Um, however, I do see that maybe there's another side of this. Maybe there are executives in these soda companies that understand and see the benefits of health, and maybe they really are trying to bring better solutions to the table. But I am also very cautious about what those banners say. Monster has never been known to be a, a friendly drink for people with chronic disease. So I would say proceed with caution. I mean, ultimately I agree uh, with her. I think that, uh, listen, I think all of us up here feel the way you do about, about this. Um, and it, it's kind of a thorny subject, but I think the thing that should be unshakable, should be uh, something that is concrete, is that you have a choice. I have a choice. All of us up here have a choice. Um, I don't care how much Monster Energy Drink or whoever advertises, I don't have to buy your product. I can continue to, to drink water um, and you know emphasize products that uh, are advantageous as opposed to disadvantageous to my health. So as all of us have talked about and alluded to um, on this panel, education uh, and continuing education is very important. Um, you know, I think that ultimately you should let 
as Athena implied, you should let corporation, I mean, listen, these are for-profit businesses. Let them figure out whatever they need to do to stay solvent, you know, and, and, and stay making money. But that doesn't mean I need to contribute to it. Uh, so there's, as I harp, harped on earlier, there's a certain element here of personal responsibility um, and kind of, you know, ultimately that you, you should focus on the things that you can control. I can't control that. I, when, when I can't control things, I, I don't want to stress about it. I don't want to even put mental, you know, any, any, any uh, uh, mental cycles into it. So uh, really, that's, that's kind of the most I can say about that. How do you feel about soda machines and pop machines being in hospitals? I 100% know Tom agrees and Julie agrees. Well, I, I, listen, you're talking about soda machines and hospitals. We have got, walked into doctor's lounges and seen, you know, fruit roll-ups and Doritos. And listen, 99%, I'm not going to sit here and be a hypocrite or lie. 99% of the time, I could resist that stuff in residency. Um, but when you're sleep deprived and you're post-call in the morning, 7 a.m., I've worked how many hours? I, you know, I did eat that stuff and I was very uh, angered internally that number one, I was weak enough and that I broke, but number two, that that temptation was even put in my face. So I think that, you know, there's a conflict of interest. You supposedly have a hospital, a building that is there to make you or to, I'm sorry, help you get back to 100%, help you, you know, get back to, uh, to, to your health. And then you have soda machines and you have nonsense, you have packaged foods and, and hospitals and uh, you kind of, once again, have to make that personal decision because the hospital is doing whatever it can to stay solvent. And unfortunately, that includes partnerships with companies that would rather destroy your health rather than help improve it. Yeah, the, the economics is a cold science. You know, it, just, it, it, it is what it is. I mean, one of the sponsors of the Olympics this year is Oreo, Oreo Cookies. It's a proud sponsor of the, of the U.S. Olympics. I mean, so they helped me watch the olympics which is really cool i enjoyed the broadcast maybe it would have been possible without them it's up to me as to whether or not i go you know you don't have to go buy the product even though they're absolutely delicious I, I I, i'm not gonna eat them but they're, they're delicious <laughs> I do. oh sorry i'm not gonna take personal responsibility off the table i 100 percent believe in personal responsibility all of it but these buildings, this for everything, this is our hospital. It's our hospital. That's how we get better. So I'm just saying, it's just something to consider. So for what it's worth, I did work to have vending machines removed from my hospital. <laughs> so we were able to do that. But I, hope, I do hope that everybody here understands the role that added sugar, and particularly sugar-sweetened beverages, plays as a driving force in metabolic disease in our country. All right. And, and that's undeniable, regardless of who the sponsors are for whatever. Um, and as physicians, healthcare providers from all walks, it's our responsibility to make sure that we're conveying that to the population. And I think that's what we're all we're all doing. And ideally, surrounding yourself in a community that helps strengthen the individual, the personal responsibility, because while it would be wonderful to remove it, I think that's a utopia that's going to be a fiction, quite frankly, because since those things are so addictive and they sell so well, it doesn't matter where you are. Yeah, you can find candy and soda and whatever at the grocery store, but it's on the way out of the aisle of Home Depot. Like anywhere, that we're, anywhere that you're exiting, it doesn't matter if they sell food, you have the opportunity to buy a package of M&Ms on the way out there because they're hoping to catch you in that just that moment. So 
living in planet Earth, living in America, like you are never going to be able to remove yourself from that situation. So ideally, you get involved in the community, you start feeling good, you understand how moving your body and putting the right things in your body leads to where you want to go. And little by little, you'll never be perfect, but you make those bad decisions yeah. less frequently. No, I totally agree. I think that you know, one of the main things that I feel is my responsibility is to convey this information to my patients, friends, and family so that they can make informed decisions, whatever those decisions are. Um, and we need to continue to do that. Another question? Hi. Um, I was actually diagnosed with stage four terminal cancer two days after I turned 40 in the ER. Um, so a little over a year ago, and my oncologist said to me, well, look, I mean, you have six to 18 months, which I'm currently at six month 16 now, and so that's it, then you're gonna die. So just like drink wine, eat cake, have a lot of really good sex, just live your life. And I was like, well, I mean, none of that's gonna make me healthier, uh, well, minus the sex. And I also have a four and a half year old. <laughs> just don't really know how he's gonna take that. and. A dear friend of mine who's selling um, woven clothing here told me that some of the panels have been speaking about exercise oncology. Um, and so I was just wondering if somebody wanted to like drop a word about that. Well, luckily we have one of our panelists right here in the audience <laughs> to drop a word about that. Um, hi everyone, I'm Allison Betoff. Um, I am an exercise oncologist, so I'm a medical oncologist at Memorial Sloan Kettering. I have a PhD in exercise and cancer um, and run a lab that studies exercise and its effects on cancer treatment. Um, I think one of the most important messages that we have is that exercise helps prevent cancer. It's about a 20% risk reduction for the development of cancer. And once cancer develops across many types, but not all types of cancer, exercise actually can help patients potentially live longer, but certainly, certainly we know across cancer types that exercise improves quality of life for cancer patients. So I'm happy, I'm gonna be around all weekend. I'm happy to discuss that in a lot more detail with anyone. Um, but I mean, I think the other thing that I would love to add to this panel is that among other chronic diseases, the benefit of being alive in 2021 is that Cancer is now a chronic disease um, for many different types of cancer. And we need to start thinking of it that way. Our patients living much longer with cancer as opposed to giving them an end date and saying, do whatever you want until that time. Thank you, Allison. Hi, my name is Jeff Juca. Um, I'm not a doctor either. I'm a CrossFit affiliate owner for the past nine and a half years. I also do one-on-one -on -one training and have since I was 19. Um, I train almost exclusively doctors and um, I empathize a lot with like what you guys say and I see it a lot in my clients that we also have this population that comes through it. It's not so much a, a misinformation or a disinformation problem so much as it's a, I know what to do, I just don't do it. And it's the accountability problem. And I, I'd like to hear perspectives from possibly just the medical side and uh, maybe even solutions that you have, opinions on addressing the psychology of change and helping coach the human to 
to take us up on this information and these solutions that could be very effective, but it's the, it's the leading the animal to water problem that can't make a drink. So I'd like to hear your perspectives on that and not so much just training. Thanks. Great question. Great question. So as Julie, as Julie answered earlier, um, as it pertains to data, uh, unfortunately, unfortunately, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of data already out there. And I think you bring up a very good point, which is psychology is another. Actually, I think it's a much more important um, uh, question in terms of what role does it play? Right. Uh, so as Pat was bringing up earlier where it's it's advantageous to have a lot of time with patients and clients. Um, one of the things that I like to do, and I know we've all been trained on this, is motivational interviewing. And what that means is I like to find out, and to do this, you need a lot of time, but you need to find out what exactly what, what, are the, what, are the mo what are the motivations of your patient? You can't sit there, or at least I don't try to do this, and shame somebody into losing weight. I'm not going to sit there and try to shame you off of getting medications. I'm going to try to figure out what would bring that motivation out of you on a, on a daily basis, um, what, what drives you, and then kind of go from there. So I think with these doctors that you brought up, um, who don't necessarily, or they seem that they don't care, you simply haven't figured out, you haven't hit the nail on the head with what, what motivates them and having those conversations with them that are going to potentially be a little bit intrusive could make all the difference in the world. Uh, that's one solution. Yeah, habit formation is a huge component of the work that I do with my clients at this point. I have entire modules set up on how to establish uh, habits as I think, because we're, when we're talking about lifestyle modification, right, if you don't have that skill set, uh, you're spinning your wheels, right? And so understanding that habits are built one day at a time, right? And the very small change ultimately will lead to significant results. I think a lot of us will tend to get goal oriented on, you know, this uh, ultimately what would be an achievable goal, but seems insurmountable at the moment, right? And there's a lot of great resources we can talk after. I'm happy to you know, give you a, a reading list that you can take back to the docs to work on that. Um, but I think all of us who are in this field as health coaches, physicians, care providers need to really internalize the importance of conveying, you know, living in the moment, making commitments and sticking to them, but start small, right? You want to set yourself up for success and then you can build on that over time. I think what you mentioned about physicians applies to a whole bunch of people, right? Which is having the knowledge yet not applying the knowledge. I think that, that is most of the gym population as well. Why they're failing to achieve their goals is not mysterious. You know, if you followed them 24 hours a day and you saw the decisions that they made, it would be really obvious why you don't have the body composition that you want, why your fitness isn't going in the right direction, why you're not sleeping well, whatever it happened to be. It's not the lack of knowledge for the population you're talking about, it's the application. And I see that self-sabotage, for lack of a better way to say it, really, really frequently in a lot of people. And I think you hit on it very well. You get them the knowledge base, but then it's easy for that to crumble without a support structure because we're going to fail. We're going to stumble. And if you're by yourself, you might not pick yourself back up, which is, again, one of the magical parts of CrossFit is the community and how important it is to be surrounded by like-minded people that get it that when you're having those dark days or whatnot, you don't have to just internalize it. You can ask for help, which is a huge thing, which some physicians might have. Do physicians have egos? 
They might have, you know, in regular human beings have egos, monster egos, and have a tough time admitting that they don't know something, and a tough time admitting that they're failure, and they're not put on pedestals like physicians. I mean, so that's a level of pressure that I don't know what it's like. And establishing routines is an excellent way to do it because ideally a routine, more than goals, like you're saying, will help lead to developing some discipline to making the proper choices more frequently than you make the improper choices. And I think routines and discipline are a great stepping stone to where you want to be because I don't put a lot of faith in motivation because motivation's fleeting. I'm motivated today, I'm not motivated tomorrow. So if you only work out when you're motivated, I don't know how frequently you're gonna work out, but if you work out because you're disciplined and because you know what you want to do, you understand the benefits of it and you understand the path, the steps, the process to get there, I think discipline goes a whole heck of a lot further than motivation and then that support network, that community that you can say, I am struggling today. I don't want to go to the gym. I can hear Dairy Queen just calling me in my sleep and you know, somebody can talk you off the ledge. Civilian or, or doctor, I think that goes a long way. Dairy Queen is the reason that Pat is not getting any sleep. So that answers that question. I'll say one more thing to that. You know, as a recovering egomaniac, uh, it took me years to admit to myself that I actually needed to sleep. You know, I worked nights for years and I used to pull 24s and I was like, no, I went to residency. I'm tough. I don't need that. Those rules don't apply to me. I was a hot emotional mess. I was not kind, caring and empathetic to my friends and family. And until I had to make really big life changes to you know, give up nights, stop working 24s or really try and focus on days. And the change that that made in my life, I never could have had any insight into that until I look back on it, right? And so it's it's really hard, but you know, the physicians that you're working with, they may be set in a practice style or a lifestyle that unless they make some pretty big changes is never going to allow them to start to commit to that habit formation and break that cycle that they're in. And those are much bigger discussions. Um, but I think that reinforcing that in little ways um, eventually can give them the courage to contemplate making those changes if they need to. All right. I think that's about all the time we have, unfortunately. But thank you all so much for coming. And a big round of applause to all of our panelists. Thank you for being here. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you enjoy listening to the podcast, please consider subscribing and giving it a five-star rating on iTunes. It really does help to get the word out to more people.